Well, I mentioned last week that during the four Sundays of Advent, we were going to be looking and thinking about rest. We're going to be thinking about rest, which for some of us might seem a bit counterintuitive. It might seem a little bit uh, maybe uh, naive. Maybe you would say that it's almost uh, maybe mean-spirited because we all know Christmas is not a time of rest. Christmas is frantic, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and you might think, hey, to even talk about Christmas at this time is kind of, or talk about rest at Christmas, maybe, is, uh, maybe it just adds something more to your plate. And I don't want that to be the case either. That is not the way it's supposed to be. And last week, what we did is we looked at Jesus' words in Matthew 11. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I hope that as we spend this time in Advent preparing for Christmas as best we can, that we will be able to enter into that rest that Jesus is promising, that we will be able to feel rest for our souls. So over the next few weeks, we are going to continue to think about that rest. We're going to think about ways that we can, we can enter into that or invite that, welcome that rest that Jesus is offering to us. And we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way than what you maybe have become accustomed to at Christmas. It's going to be a little bit surprising. We are going to be looking at Jesus's humanity, but not specifically at his birth. Well, Easter is the time when we traditionally revel in, think about, and meditate on Christ's death and resurrection. And what we do at Christmas time, one of the things that we try to reflect on and really meditate on in a deeper way is on this idea that God became a human being, that, that, that God would take on flesh. And the, and the word for that, the spiritual or the theological word for that is the incarnation, that God would take on flesh. That's the, the carne part of the incarnation, right? That, that God would become a human being. And so oftentimes at Christmas, we look at the biblical narratives of Jesus' birth, which totally makes sense. And oftentimes we think about that. And it's, it is important for us to reflect on those stories, not only just from the, the miracle of the circumstances of his birth and how, uh, how that all came about, how amazing that is that, that God would be willing to become a baby, to be helpless, needy, tired, all the things that come with that. that he was willing to do that. But as we think about the incarnation, there's another, there's another place that we can turn for us to think about the meaning of the incarnation, the meaning of God becoming a person, to become a man. And it's not a very traditional one, because what I'm hoping that we're going to be spending time to look at is another time when Jesus was weak, when he felt very fragile. And what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is Jesus' temptation in the desert. So not a very traditional Christmas time uh, thing, but I think it's going to help us not only to think about God becoming human, but also to think about what are the implications for us thinking about entering into God's rest. That's my hope, anyway, that we would try to do that. So what we see in the, the temptation narrative is that, that Christ is not looking to receive from us, but he's in a position where he is the one who's going to put himself to give 
to others. That is kind of the direction that we're going. So as a Christian, you, your mission as you prepare for Christmas is for you to put yourself in a posture that you will be ready to receive from God. That's part of entering into that rest. All right, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story, that relate the story of Jesus' temptation. They do it in a little bit different order, a different way. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible or your app, you can open that up. There are some Bibles. There are always Bibles in the back that are on a bookshelf back there that you can grab. You're welcome to just listen along as well. This is the book of Luke. It's in the New Testament. I always tell people, you know, you never, there's no shame in using the table of contents in the front of your Bible. They all have it. Uh, the book of Luke, it's in the New Testament toward the back, chapter 4. So Luke 4, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. He was in the, the valley of the Jordan, the low spot there, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, here's one of the bigger uh, kind of understatements of the Bible, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. One of, those, one of the things that jumps out to us immediately from this passage is Jesus' humanity. Yes, he is full of the Holy Spirit, but the first thing that the Spirit does is pushes him out into the wilderness where he is going to be tempted, where his body is going to face some trial. Uh, it says, so, some translations don't say wilderness, some say go into the desert, which in that area, I will tell you, if you leave from a uh, civil, civilized area or a developed area, the minute you kind of leave from those areas and you head into the wilderness, the wilderness kind of is the desert. It's kind of the same thing. Uh, so those, that was where he goes, and he fasts, and he fasts for a long time. And at the end of it, he's hungry. Now, I would say, if any of you have gone without food, or you've maybe been through some kind of a longer trial, you experience at the end of it probably what he's experiencing. I think that he's probably pretty tired, too. And he's alone during most of it. I think he's probably feeling a bit lonely as well. Alcoholics Anonymous has a lot of experience of helping people who are experiencing some great temptation. And one of the, the things that they warn people about is one of the, the, the times that we should be aware a time that you're at risk of falling into relapse, and what they use, the acronym that they use, they say you should halt. It's the times when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. These are times that, that as they say, these are times when people are going to be tempted to be driven back to their addiction. And Jesus here, he's at least hungry. I think he's at least lonely, and he's definitely tired. I think. He's starting to hit them all. And guess what's coming next? The devil's going to come, the guy who's going to try to cause him problems, to tempt him, to irritate him, to frustrate him, to try to make him feel unsatisfied. He's pushing everything toward some kind of anger, I think, as well. So he's going hit, to hit them all. So, so Jesus is at a weak point. This is, this is as weak as he could probably possibly be before being on the cross. And, and so he feels at his lowest. Maybe you've experienced some moments like that. 
You know what that feels like. You maybe only afterwards realize that that was the low point. Maybe when you were at that point, you thought, does it get worse from here? Uh, but we have felt like that. And, and in his temptation, Jesus is being held up to us as a, the paragon, the top person, the, the representative for a couple different groups. The first one is he's being held up as a representative for all humanity, for all people. Christ in this narrative is being shown to be the new Adam facing a difficult trial. But his, his circumstances are a little bit different than Adam's because Adam, when he faced his trial, had his belly full. And Jesus is hungry. Now, Adam, when he faced his trial, had his companion with him. Jesus is alone. Now, Adam, when he, he, was, he was in the garden, Christ is in the desert, and Adam's decision ended up bringing brokenness into the world. And Jesus, by offering his broken body, is going to be the one to bring healing into our world. Well, Adam, his sin was, well, God had told him, he had given him a commandment, a clear word. He said, you know, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for this one. And on that one, I just want you to trust me. I, I want you to trust me to, to have that be my word for you and for you to follow it. And Satan ends up speaking to Adam, and he says, hey, you know what? God, the reason why God is telling you not to eat that is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's just trying to keep you down. He's trying to keep you from, from knowing all the things that you should know. So Adam was supposed to trust in, in God, to trust God's goodness, to believe that what God wanted for him was a good thing. And Jesus here is this, is this new Adam, as a true representative for people. And if he, fall, if he listens to Satan, he's going to end up falling into that same trap. But Jesus answers him. He says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm supposed to listen to God's word. And, and I, I've seen a stage production of somebody doing Luke, and I, one of the things that really stood out to me was when the actor read this part and he was playing Jesus in the part, he said, he taps his, his chest, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Even I, I as a man, I have to live off of God's word. I think that's really great. It's not just a theoretical, it's for us. So Luke wants us to see Christ is being held up as this new Adam to be a representative for us. And he's not just a new Adam, he's also the new Israel. When, when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, he brought them out, and because of some grumbling, he ended up having them wander in the desert for 40 years. And Jesus here now is in the desert wilderness as well for 40 days. Certainly a, a symbolic number, but I think it's also a very long time. He's hungry. This is, he's there for kind of at the limit of what he can handle without food. And it's, it's not just the number 40 that makes us think that Jesus is being held up as a representative for Israel. Certainly that, but not just that. Because when Jesus quotes back to Satan Scripture, all three of the statements that he says, so we're just doing one of them today, we're going to do the next two, the next two weeks, the, the statements he says back to him are all from Deuteronomy 6 to 8. All of them from that spot. Jesus says, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by on bread alone, Deuteronomy 8. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test, also Deuteronomy 6. So quoting from Deuteronomy is in itself pretty significant 
Because the book of Deuteronomy was written at the end of the time that the people had been wandering in the desert for those 40 years. And Moses is preaching a sermon to them saying, hey, let's recap some of the things that we've learned. <laughs> let's, let's recap. We've learned together that we, and one of the things we're supposed to have kind of gotten is that we should not live on bread alone, but we should live from every word from God's mouth. They spent 40 years doing that. And, and Jesus now is shown to be this true Israel, the one who, after 40 days of testing in the desert, doesn't respond with complaining, isn't, isn't grumbling against God, isn't testing God, but he is trusting in God's word. And he echoes back not only faithful words of God, but the faithful words that God gave his people after 40 years. He's supposed to be the new Israel. The tempter said to him, came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what Israel was supposed to learn during their wandering was really to depend on God. To be able to say, hey, God, you're the center. You're the one that we're supposed to follow. And, and, and we, we need to depend. Yeah, yeah, we depend on bread. But I need to depend even more on your presence, God. That's what they were, and Jesus is showing that he did do that. Well, there are things that you and I need, right? When we go without food, we feel hungry. We know that our body needs that. We need food. When we're, when we're cold, it shows that we need shelter. And if you swim to the bottom of the pool, you come up, you gasp for air a little bit because you need air. But Jesus is saying that among the things that we need desperately in our lives is that we need God's word for our souls. And we're not always going to recognize it nearly as quickly, maybe as some of those other things, but we need it. And if people are going to faint without getting enough air or without getting enough water, what he says is that God's people will faint if they don't have his word. French theologian Jacques Ellul says this. He says, The hunger for bread is unquestionable, but hunger for the word of God, felt less obviously in the belly, is even more essential. He's not only saying, I refuse to perform this miracle because I refuse to prove that I'm the son of God, but also I and other people hunger first for the word of God. That we hunger for God's word. Well, what was it then? Let's, I think Jacques trying to get at this. What was it that made this actually a temptation for Jesus? Why is this considered turning bread from stones? Why is this a temptation? Uh, author Don Carson says this, Satan is, is not inviting Jesus to doubt his sonship, like, oh, are you actually a son or not? But to reflect on its meaning. Sonship of the living God, he's suggesting, surely means Jesus has the power and right to satisfy his own needs. So it's, it's not just about producing bread from nothing. That's not the problem. In fact, he did that for other people, right? He, he produced bread to give to other people. That's not the problem. What, but what Satan is tempting him is for him to produce the bread for his own benefit. It's, it's off his mission. It's, it's not the direction that he was supposed to be going. So Satan is planting the seed of discontent for him. He's like, hey, what is a guy like you doing in a place like this? You, if you, why are you going hungry? Why should you go hungry? You shouldn't. You're the son of God. Come on. 
these aren't circumstances that are befitting your position, Jesus. I think that you should just take care of yourself. You should expect more. You, you need more than this. You, you should do something about this because I know that you've got the power to do something about it. Why not? Don Carson continues. He says, It was a temptation to use his sonship in a way that is inconsistent with his God-ordained mission. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next couple of weeks, that, that Christ's mission was to come and give his life as a ransom for many. And, and, but Jesus sticks to his mission. He doesn't go off track. So we, we don't need to fear then. The implications for us are we don't need to fear that Jesus is going to use his power to protect himself or to serve himself. By rejecting the devil, he reasserts. He says, he says, I am the true human. I am the one who will live by God's word alone. And, and it's true, I am going to succeed where Adam failed. And in the same way, I'm going to succeed where Israel failed. I am going to stick with you. I'm going to be the perfect representative of faith and a, and a good priest to the world. I'm going to succeed where Israel failed. But right now, you might be thinking wonder if you are. Hey, I thought that we were going to be talking a little bit about rest. How is this going to help me to rest? Where's the respite in all this stuff? Well, here is how the story of Jesus' temptation comes together, and it will fit. This first temptation is going to show us how Jesus is going to help us, is that he's proving that his brand of leadership is not self-serving. If you welcome Jesus as your king, you can know what kind of leader you're going to get. A lot of leaders use their followers to build up their own fame, their own wealth, something like that. But that's not what we need to fear from Jesus because the, the question that was hanging in the balance for him was, are you going to care for your own physical needs first or will you stick to your mission? Will you be this self-giving king instead of a self-serving one. Our king did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus can offer us rest because we know that his agenda is not about himself. He's not trying to absorb us. He's actually giving to us, that his mission is to give to us. He's, he's not grasping to care for himself. He, he's fine. He has an overflow that he can give to us. And in his temptation, Christ was even preparing to serve us better. This is what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, since we, God's children, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So the, the rest that is offered by Jesus is, is pretty amazing. He is offering us this rest. He, he shared in our humanity so that he could break the power of the devil, it says. So he's, he's the one fighting for us in that. He became like us so he could fight on our behalf. 
And we also rest, we can rest in knowing that we are known. We, God knows us, not in a, in a distant kind of way, but he, he literally knows what it is like to be tempted. And, and so it says that because he was tempted, he's able to help us when we're going through trials and temptations of our own, our own sufferings. And isn't, isn't, that's, isn't that a really different way of thinking how God sees us in our temptations and trials than maybe the kind of common, everyday way that we think, like, God's looking at us and judging us and, you know, he's kind of frowning and scorning us. To think about it as God himself has experienced temptations and so he is our help when we are being tempted. He's there with us, weeping along with us, suffering along with us, that he's willing to go into those places and serve at our side. So Christ wants to ease our burdens. He, there's something that we can then take off of our list. Uh, even people who aren't normally kind of list makers in uh, our lives tend to start to have a few lists around Christmas time. Uh, you will make the list, and uh, uh, we make lists of all the things that we have to do. We make lists specifically, at least this is the one that I do, I have to make lists of all the people I'm supposed to give presents to, so I'm, that's the worst fear, is that you would end up forgetting somebody. And, and I think that we can sometimes kind of subconsciously put God on our list of people that we're supposed to give gifts to. We, we think of faith as this gift that we're supposed to give to God. Like, like there's some kind of an exchange that happens that I, I give you, God, some of my attention and my faith, and you give me eternal life. Like, it's a kind of a cool deal. I give you what you want. You give me what I want. But that's not the picture that we get, not from all of Scripture and not here from the temptation of Jesus either. Jesus is in the position of being the gift giver. We, we have, in, if, in that view, if we think of the, us giving us God a gift, we're just adding one more thing to our list. We're adding one more person that we can't forget. But I want to tell you, you can, you can take him off of your gift list. You can go ahead. Uh, because I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I need to say it. I, maybe, maybe I should. That, that God doesn't need you to give him gifts. God's the one who gives us gifts. Because the devil was trying to determine the parameters, basically, for Jesus, for what it meant for him to be the Son of God. This is what it means for you to be the Son of God. You get taken care of. You get your needs met. And I think we also can kind of fall into the same kind of circumstances with God. That we tell God, these are the circumstances that we have a relationship together. I tell you what it means for you to be Lord and Savior. He says, no, 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 I, I determine what this looks like. So I want us to, to rest in this. Our relationship begins and continues and ends with God being the gift giver to us. The sum of our relationship, ultimately, anything that we do give to God is always a response to him. He's the good gift giver. And in that way, I think kids kind of get it right. When kids approach Christmas, they, they know that their primary role as a kid is to be the receiver because their parents are the ones who are supposed to give them the gifts. And you, in your relationship with God, you're the child. God is the one who gives gifts to you. Your primary position is to be someone who receives from God. That's your mission. If you have a mission at Christmas right now, I want you to stick to your mission. 
Your mission is to be someone who postures yourself in a way that you will receive from God because he's the parent who gives to us. God is the one who rescues us from darkness. God is the one who sustains us from temptation. So you can rest. I think you can rest from trying to impress God, from trying to... Instead, we can be someone who receives from him. All right. I think I would like for us to do some kind of a practical thing. I, I'm trying to think, I was, this week I was thinking, what is an action that would give us some traction? What's going to help us to do this week? And one of the tools that Christians and Jewish people have used over the centuries to, to declare their dependence on God, to say to God, God, you're the one who gives to me, I'm the one who receives. It's not the other things that are primary in my life. You are primary. You're the first one. You're going to be before any kind of material thing. That thing that they have done over the centuries is the ancient practice of fasting. To, to, get, to do without some food or some things during a time. And this practice is a little bit forgotten, especially in the American evangelical church today. I think it's not as common, but it's something that Christians have practiced over the centuries. And I think it's, I mean, just literally from our passage, it's kind of a practical way for us to follow Jesus's example. So let's be clear, it's not a gift that we're giving to God. We're not saying, God, I'm going to do this thing for you. It's still done in a posture of receiving. Because fasting, what does it do? It reminds us that that we live not by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from God's mouth. We live from that gift. So it's, it's an intentional way to slow down, to say, God, I, I need you to care for me. And it, it's, a, it's a way for us to connect with God. That's the most important thing in all of it, but there are some other benefits. This is, uh, writer Richard Foster says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things. This, this hurts a little bit. But in fasting, those things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David said, I am humbled. I humbled my soul with fasting. In Psalm 69. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. That's why. But then we will know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. End of quote. So if we, if we want to be people who can truly rest and find respite in God, I think we should try to identify some of those things that are controlling us. And we can purposely reassert that God is in control. We are not. Uh, God is supposed to be primary in our lives. And, and let's just be clear, you know, uh, fasting from food is different from dieting. Dieting is done primarily for a physical reason, but fasting is done for spiritual reasons. Uh, it's not the same as a hunger strike where you're trying to make a point. We're doing it to connect, to, to pay attention to God. Biblical fasting is always for spiritual purposes. This is what, this is what John Wesley said. First, let it, fasting, be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone. This is how he talked, I guess. To glorify our Father which is in heaven. So our eye is fixed on trying to glorify God. 
Most of the time, I think in Scripture, fasting is intended to be something that we do individually. There are times when it happens more corporately. And what I'm proposing is that we do something kind of in between, that you decide individually that this week that you're going to participate with us and, and that we would do it kind of knowing that there's other people who are going to do it along with us. And so this is what I'm proposing. I'm proposing that this week that we would pass on two meals, that this Wednesday, well, I'll just pick a day, this Wednesday, we would not have breakfast and lunch, but we would break our fast with dinner. I want to say as well, if you have medical issues, not expecting you to do this, if you have diabetes, if you're expecting a child, if you have heart problems, you don't have to do that. You can, maybe you can fast from something else. You can tell your friends, uh, all your followers on uh, Instagram, you can tell them that you're going to be off for a little while. Uh, and uh, so maybe, maybe you put your phone on airplane mode for, for six hours or something like that. But the main issue is that we're purposely focusing. We're choosing something that we can forsake so that it would push us to remember to pray, right? When we get hungry, we would think about and want to pray. That's the idea, purposely fo- focusing, excuse me. But purposely focusing so that we can feast on the Word of God. And I'm going to give out uh, some kind of a prayer guide for you for that time. Uh, I realize it's not going to work for everybody, but I hope that it's something that you're willing to discover. That might be the first time that you've ever thought that you would consider fasting. Maybe it's a normal part of your spiritual experience, but I'm hoping that we can discover that we can discover our dependence on God's Word more than food or anything else like that. We want to recenter ourselves so we're not we're not we're not just the sum of our wants and desires. We are people who lean on God, that we need God. So I'm, I'm wondering if you think you're going to be able to try it, that you can try this this week, to do that with us on Wednesday. I wonder how you can remember that. Maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone, something like that, because otherwise you wake up and you're, uh, you're going to just eat your breakfast. Uh, but I, I want to encourage you, you, you may just need to put that in your calendar right now, set yourself an alarm uh, for Tuesday night, uh, you can, it's okay to pull out your phones and do that. Uh, you can set yourself an alarm in the morning on Wednesday and say you want to do that. I want you to join me in doing it. I'm going to do it. I hope you'll join with me and, and try that this week. It's a way for us to, to step into Jesus' shoes a little bit, but really for us to make it practical to go, do I live by God's word alone? I'll tell you the answer. No, I don't. I, and I, it's not always primary in my life. There's so much other stuff that kind of takes over in my life, and I don't want it to. I want to be somebody who focuses on God. And is this a way for us to be able to help recenter our eyes, our vision on God? It's, it's not a magic bullet or anything, but it, it's a step in the right direction, I think. All right. Let's admit that was not what you were expecting when you came here today, okay? You're like, Kurt, there, I just had a pound of fudge delivered to my house. Yeah, right. Um, uh, this is probably not the direction that you thought that you would ever go in Advent at all. I, it's just how it is. But I, I think that it's going to offer us something really rich to think about Jesus' temptations for us. We're thinking about Christ's humanity, Christ who came and took on flesh. It, we're going to revel in that, the fact that God became a human being. And, and Christ was a human so that he could deliver us from darkness, that he was willing to give his life on a cross and be resurrected again that we would have life, this one who would be the gift giver. We don't have to receive. We, we get to receive. We don't have to give to him. We get to be in the position of receiving. And I think if we do that, it's going to really help us 
We're going to be people who don't have to see God as part of our list. I think it's going to help us even not to put other stuff on other people's lists, I hope. That's the hope, at least. And I hope that in some ways it's going to give us some much-needed respite. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time for us to, to worship together, to sing, even if we don't always know the words, and uh, to meditate on your word. I pray that we will choose to, to live into this scripture this week, that we will think that you were the one who became a human being. You identify with us, you know us, and you are a perfect priest to stand in for us. Thank you for giving your life for us. I pray for us even as we maybe do something new and hard. I think about fasting and going without food. And we pray that that will help us to hunger for you in a new way. We pray because of Jesus. Amen.